You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit providencetx.org. With which we has with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Good morning, everyone. I just want to make mention, that's not Lauren's fault. That's not Eric's fault. I wrote down the scripture, so you can imagine (laughs) whose fault that is. Uh, I probably scribbled it down. My handwriting's pretty poor, and so uh, that's why we ended up with what we just did. But I want to welcome you here on this Christmas morning. There's no greater time to celebrate Christmas morning than on a Sunday together with you guys. I'm so glad that you're all here. So grateful that we get to get into God's word together. Uh, So before we jump in, um, I'd like to pray for us and ask that the Lord this Christmas morning would speak to us through his word. And so if you'll bow your heads, I'll pray and ask the spirit to do what only the spirit can do. Father, thank you. This Christmas morning, we give you glory. We thank you that the gospel is true, Jesus, that you are alive and you are well. We thank you that you're reigning and you're ruling. We thank you, Jesus, that what started in a manger was finished on the cross and through the resurrection. And we look forward to the final culmination when you return and every eye will see you and every tongue will confess and give you the glory that is so due to your name. We pray now. God, would you help us to see all of the spiritual blessings, all of the gifts that you have given us through the blood of your son. Help us to unwrap those gifts this morning and rejoice and bring praise to your name and in so doing glorify you. And Lord, help that it be not just this morning, but our whole lives be geared in this way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so the reason that I chose this passage is um, for this morning is, you know, every Christmas morning, we're, some of you have already uh, opened gifts, and I've heard those of you who hadn't opened your gifts, I've heard people railing on you <laughs> already. <laughs> but listen, no judgment. You do what you do, okay? <laughs> Everybody do what they do, but we're all going to be opening gifts today. And what I wanted to do, because, you know, I think it's every six years or so, or, you know, Christmas falls on a Sunday morning, and I wanted to take some time to unwrap the gifts and the presents that have been given to us by the Father through Jesus Christ. So we know, and we say this, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. He's the real true gift, all of those things. And that's true. But this passage actually tells us that what are the gifts that are in Christ for us that we can experience and that we can experience truly on an everyday basis. And that's what this passage is all about. The passage starts by telling us that God the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. If you write in your Bibles, you should underline that. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you in Christ. But there is a stanza that's used many times here that all of these spiritual blessings are contingent 
And unwrapping these presents is understanding what it, need, what it means for us to be in Christ. For in Christ, the, all of these spiritual blessings. And I just want to read how many times this is mentioned here. So let's just go through this passage together. I'll emphasize how many times Paul says in Christ. And then I want to spend a little time talking about that and then maybe parse through some of these gifts. Here's what I will encourage you this morning. We're not going to have enough time to unwrap all the gifts. But here's what I have found with this passage. If you went to it every single Christmas, you'll find more gifts there than you ever could imagine. You open one, it's kind of like when your kids are little, they're, they're fascinated. Actually, when they're really, really little, they don't even know what unwrapping these gifts are. And it's funny because that's when the grandparents give them the most gifts. If you're a parent, you know that. You know, you get like 700 gifts that first Christmas and they cannot even walk. Like, what am I supposed to do with this, you know, remote control car? I remember uh, Jonas's uncle gave him, like, I think on his second or third, or he's only two years old on his Christmas, gave him a remote control car that was, like, for grown men. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work. We hid it away for years. I think we just brought it out last year, just like a re-gift. Hey, look at this, you know. Um, whenever you read Ephesians 1 here, and you're a baby Christian, you know, just newborn Christian, there's so much there that you're just overwhelmed by. And every year, if you read it again, what you'll notice is you're unwrapping new gifts, new depths of this passage, that, that, that there's more glory in this passage than you could ever imagine. And as you grow spiritually, you start realizing, wow, truly every spiritual blessing is in him. So I want to I read these. I want to emphasize in Christ here so that we can understand that's the contingency for the spiritual blessing. And then let's Let's spend some more time talking about those blessings. So verse three, blessed be the father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, there it is one time, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, there it is again, before the foundation of the world, that we shall be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, there it is again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. There it is again. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, here it goes again, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here you go again, verse 11. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here it goes again. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I read it again so you could see how many times this in Christ, in him theme is there. And I believe it's directly correlated to what we get in the very beginning of the story of the gospels where Jesus is not just given the name Jesus Christ, but he's also giving a prophetic name, Emmanuel, God with us. And these are all theological concepts that are chained together. So this, this is how you chain these two, in Christ and God with us. You chain these together, that the presence of Christ on earth with us, God with us, was intentional. Christ was with us for a little while, and he's coming back again. But if you remember, Jesus specifically says to his disciples, I am going back to my Father so that I might send you the promised Holy Spirit. Oh, well, what's the uniqueness there? 
He sends the Spirit so that in Christ, by faith, God himself would dwell in us and us in him. This idea of us in Christ and Christ in us, we sing about it all the time, right? You've probably heard Brendan sing songs about us being in Christ or you hear Brendan sing songs about Christ being in us. And this is not just a weird spiritual jargon. It's scriptural theological truth. I want to read John chapter 15, verses four through five. Listen, this is what Jesus says about this. Abide in me. So we're in Christ. And I in you. So Christ in us. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Just in case you thought I was crazy. Here he goes again. Whoever abides in me in Christ and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me. You can do nothing. The theological concept here is being in union with Christ. Jesus actually prayed for this, that we would be one even as he and the Father were one. This union with Christ, how does that happen? It's very simple. This happens by faith. That's what the New Testament teaches us. That it's believing in Christ that allows us to be in union with Christ. And the reason I started there was to say that this is what then unlocks for you all of the spiritual blessings that are under the tree for you, figuratively, right now. And not just on Christmas, but every morning, you wake up, and these presents, these gifts are under the tree. And I want to swiftly go through, and again, we're not going to be able to really mine this, and you couldn't your whole life, but I encourage you to do it because it's wonderful. I want to just go through some of the things that Paul says are the gifts that are irrevocably given to you if you're in Christ this morning. I want you to unwrap these presents. I want you to wonder at them because they are unbelievable. The first ones are in the first few verses. That one of the things that he's done in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That you're chosen by God. Chosen by God to be holy and to be blameless. Now that's wonderful. Some of you are type A, and so you probably got better grades than all the rest of us. And you probably were a better rule follower. I was, I don't know. I'm not even, I don't even know if I'm type B. If there's a weird other one, that's the type that I am. I was like the sad tree type in kindergarten. Y'all know the sad tree? Did y'all have that? I have a name was always on the sad tree. And that meant at recess, I had to stand on the wall and watch all the other kids play, you know? Honestly, it's effective, but it was ruthless. Um, so when I read this, I think that God chose me to be holy and blameless. If I really meditate on it, I'm, I'm shocked at that because I've done a poor job at that and I'm not great at that. And yet that's what he chose me for is to make me holy before him, blameless before him that one day I will stand before God. And I'll tell you last night, I mentioned this thinking about standing before God in the judgment seat of Christ brings me this real sobering gravity. And yet this passage tells me that I'll be held blameless, that I won't have any reason to fear in front of the King and that God chose me for that kind of honor. And if you're in Christ, he chose you for that kind of honor. But even more than that, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, this one's near and dear to my heart, but he chose you that you might be in his family, to adopt you into his family. And I, obviously, it's near and dear to my heart because of my own kids, and I'll spare you the details of that story, but just to say it's the imperfect illustration for me because there's not a one-to-one correlation because here's the thing. I don't know if you needed me to say this, but I'm not God. 
So the correlation's not, not really that great, right? The father adopted us in a perfect way, and I am much less than perfect. And yet in this situation with my own kids, I think through, a lot of people get hung up in this verse about, well, if it was the, the, the predestined plan and will of God, then how does this work with choice and will? And here's what I'll say is the best illustration that I have is there are many choices and many, both good and bad, that happen in order for me to have my children and me to be their father. And yet I know, and I can't explain this to people. There's no way to explain it. I just know that they were my kids before they were ever born. I know this, and I just know it intuitively, and yet there had to be all sorts of means and choices and difficulties and suffering and hardship in order for that to be true, and yet I know that it's true. This is the mystery of God's will that he intended for this to be, and it includes all of the means and the ends, and yet there were still tons of choices, tons of dotted lines that my wife and I had to sign onto, tons of travel and flights and terrible flights, and yet I know that I know that that was what it was meant to be. A few years after we brought my son home, I, I was going through some of our, uh, some of our, we had moved, I believe, and I was going through some of our boxes and it was one of my boxes that goes all the way back to when we used to have an office uh, that we shared with the multiple different office spaces. And um, there was a little note card and this note card was from one of our first men's retreats. And at the men's retreat, I had encouraged all the men to take a note card and write down what you were hoping that God would do that year because it was at the beginning of the year uh, for you. And, and that you were going to pray for that that year. And I had a few things on there, but I turned it over, and this was in 2014. And I had written that, that, that I, Morgan and I, that I'd be a father this year. And uh, kind of forgot about it. Didn't even remember that I had written that down, that I had been praying about that, until years later after we brought my son home. And it just so happens that nine months after that, my son was born across the world. Nine months on the other side of the world that year didn't even get to bring him home till two years after he was born. But I knew, and I can't explain that to you in material terms, but Paul explains it here when he says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will in this adoption process with us, that we don't know how it happened. We just, you know, you could tell your story and you're probably like, I was there, I don't know, summer camp 93. And then some, some like chubby guy like me said, do you want to receive Christ? And you're like, okay, I'll do it. You don't know why, but you did wonderful line by Alistair Begg, a great pastor. He says on the front door of this journey, it says, whosoever will come to me and you walk through that door and you close the door and you look on the other side and says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And we don't know how. You're like, wait a minute, but I, I opened that door. And you get on the other side of it and you're like, oh, wait, but no, he opened, wait, he opened it. Wait, he is the door. It's wonderful. It's unbelievable. This was the purpose of his will. If you're a Christian this morning, that was before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine that? Me neither. <laughs> Somebody's on my side. You guys need to take a note. <laughs> he goes on. In him we have redemption, verse 7, with which he is through, or through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I love this word, which he lavished upon us. You know, lavished upon us. That word is vivid. What did he lavish upon us? He lavished upon us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
it's 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 clear here that Paul believes not because we were worthy or we adopted, but no, he redeemed us because of his grace, because he loves us, not because we had done some special hoops that we jumped through, no, but simply because he loves us, because it's his character that's the very basis for our salvation. And here, friends, if you don't know why that's so important, it's because you and I, our character, we, you know, it it can get shady. Even on our best days, our character can get a little flaky. Our moral rectitude has its imperfect days. You know, this morning I was driving in and I told Ty, I said, you know what's wonderful this morning is that there wasn't a lot of traffic on 1960. I was like, thank be to God. (laughs) But you know what? Tomorrow morning is going to happen and it's going to test my moral rectitude again. It's going to test me on whether or not I, you know, really want to live out this patient life that Christ has called me to. I can't even barely live out the patient life in the second line at Chick-fil-A when the first line's rolling through. You ever done that? You pick the line, it's always the wrong line. And I've got a system and it is not working. But this passage says, listen, your salvation, here's why you don't have to be afraid. It's because it's on the basis of his grace, his character, his love for you, which is unchangeable. He redeemed you, not on the basis of you being redeemable, but him being a redeeming God. He forgave you not on the basis of you being forgivable, but on the basis of him being a merciful, forgiving God. And so because he's unchangeable, you can be anchored to know that you're in him because he cannot lose what he has grasped with his own strong hand. He goes on. It says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I'm going to end there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention much from that. I'm going to end there. But listen to this verse. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So, you know, there's a chain there we could spend a lot of time on, right? What's the chain? You hear the word of truth, which is what? Which is the gospel of your salvation. Then what do you do? And then you believed in him. See, that's the chain of how do you know when you're in him? You hear And you hear something specific, not just hearing general things about God, but specific things about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And then you receive that. You say, I believe that. And that's how we are saved. And then listen to this. What happens? You're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So a couple things here. You and I this morning, I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've uh, had anyone pass away in your family. But, you know, inheritances can get messy. Uh, you know, you get, get things going on and all of a sudden, you know, family members you didn't even know existed come out of the woodworks. This didn't happen to me personally. I've just seen this, you know. Or, uh, you know, there's your long-lost cousin from across the world. He found out. Grammy died, you know, something like that. And the reason is because this is inheritance is being given down. And so there's a, there's a piece of the pie to be, to be had. Um. And there's something to be desired in that for people, which motivates them towards that kind of, uh, I guess, moment. This passage says that you and I, listen to me, are inheritors of God. That's unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. Jesus even tells a parable about this. It's the parable of the prodigal son. But we often miss the very end of the prodigal son because really the parable of the prodigal son is the parable of two sons. We miss the older brother who complains to the father and says, you never threw a party for me. And the father says this line, son, all that I have is yours. Whoa. 
all that he has is yours, that's who you and I are. All that the Father has is your inheritance. That's incredible to think of. How, how is it that Jesus could make promises like the meek will inherit the earth? Well, it's because he intends to have us inherit the earth. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that when you're right? Have you ever bought a house or you know, signed a lease? It's kind of expensive stuff. You're signing off things you don't even know. You know have, you're writing your signature on so many documents. You are toast, okay? You don't know what those things say. I don't know what those things say. They probably have our whole life on that, the whole document. Because it's this thick and you're, just, you're so exhausted by the end of it, you're just writing and your handwriting just looks like a scribble. And that's just for like that one lot or that one acre or that half acre that we, but the, this says that we're inheritors of God, everything that is his. He's now, through the death of his son, given to us. And how do you know that that's you? Well, he says, well, he gave us a seal. The Holy Spirit born in our hearts is the guarantee that we will inherit everything that God has for us. Now you'd be saying, Court, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Well, do you see his activity in your life? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit comforts us whenever we mourn. The Holy Spirit leads us into knowing and worshiping and obeying Jesus. The Holy Spirit has a way of not just convicting us, but leading us to true godly grief, not just worldly grief. The Holy Spirit has a way of leading us in conversations with others, prompting us to say things that we maybe otherwise would not have said. Holy Spirit has a way of illuminating the scriptures to you and showing you things that maybe you didn't see before. The Holy Spirit has a way of showing you where you're the wrong one and the argument where you would usually be sure that you're the right one. And if you're anything like me, that's every argument where you're sure that you're the right one. And once you start realizing these things in your life, and they, interestingly, they usually come after that weird summer camp 93 when you started walking up to that chubby pastor like me, you start noticing that, hey, I have new desires. I have new hopes. I have new dreams. I don't even know where these came from. Well, they came from God, and that's the seal of the Holy Spirit. And what does it do for you? It makes you confident of eternity. It makes you confident that this is the down payment. This is the guarantee that what's coming for you is Christ in all of his fullness. And the inheritance that we will have is something greater than we can imagine. Now, I want to end with that last verse that I started with. And it's verse 11 through 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were who were the first to hope in Christ might be, here's the line, to the praise of his glory. Now, if I had the time, what I'd do with you is I'd go through those 11 verses and show you how many times it says to the praise of his glory or to the, play, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the glory of God. And this is the ultimate end is that you and I now through the blood of Jesus have been brought into the family of God and then we've been re-sent out into the world to live our lives to the praise of his glory. Now that's a church term that can be easily passed over. And I'll admit to you, when I first came to know Christ, when I read Paul, I often would skip portions of the scripture here because I just thought, this is too much flowery language. I don't know what he's talking about. First of all, he seems way too happy to be greeting people. Like he likes these people. And I just thought that's not normal, you know. That's like the greeter at the church. But then when you get further into the church, you start realizing not everybody's that way. So you get more towards the normal people. Once you get to the nursery, the normal people are right there, okay. 
because they're doing the real work, okay, that all of us are not even thinking about. They're the people that are most like down to earth. But I was thinking Paul's too much of like flowery language. It's not just flowery language. To live to the praise of his glory or his glorious grace is to ask ourselves these questions. Is my aim to make the grace of God that has been shown to me look glorious? It's what it means to, have you ever heard this term? Magnify the Lord. We don't use magnifying glasses anymore, you know. But if you ever think about what a magnifying glass do, it makes something look larger. Microscopes are amazing magnifying tools that can get down and make even a small bacteria or germ look massive. And what we're called to do is make the most massive thing in the entire world, namely God's glory and his grace, look even more amazing, immense, vast. And here's the crazy thing about that is you could never make it look as big as it really is. You could never make it look as glorious as it really is. We could never make God's love look as deep as it really is. Like we use analogies, they just don't match up. God's love is as deep as what? The deepest part of the ocean. That's just a joke. That's, that's scratching the surface of God's love. It's deeper than that, deeper than deepest, the deepest you could imagine. And that's what Paul's saying here is all of this, when we unwrap these presents, and here's the thing, parents, you do this intuitively. What do you do with your kids when they get done with all those presents and you got all that wrapping paper and you're just sweating? Or maybe it's just me, I'm sweating. And then you say, what do you say? And you're expecting them to say, thank you, right? Thank you, you're teaching them, right? You'd say, thank you, you have gratitude in your heart. That's the starting line for this kind of life that lives to the praise of the glory of our wonderful God. Everything that we live and move and have our being for this one reason, and that is that people might know through our lives just how wonderful and glorious God is, that he would give us this gift. Because everything that I just mentioned to you is given to us freely by God at great cost to himself. We ask, is my life built to bring praise to the one who adopted me? Bring praise and glory to the one who redeemed me, who forgave me, who brought me into his family, who dusted me off, you know, who died for me for that very reason. What I try to do is recollect on myself, if I can be honest about what kind of child I was. I was the kind of child that would be passed over, if I, you know, if I'd really see myself as I was. The sin, the rebellion, the hostility the selfishness, you know. My kids say thank you, and I think about myself as a child, and mostly I was just kind of upset that I didn't get more. And that's the state that I was in when God decided that I should be a part of his family. Well, I want to live my life in such a way that gives him the honor due to his name. And, and here's how I think that we can grow in this, and that is taking passages like this and keep continuing to unwrap the gifts because what you'll start to notice is you never get to an end of unwrapping. What he's given, truly the word lavish doesn't even start to cover it. You start to unwrap and you unwrap and you can't even get to the bottom of it. You know, on the Polar Express where it shows Santa and he's got that big like sack full of toys. You all seen this, right? And it's humongous uh, and they like tie it up and it's on the sled and it like makes the sled scooter. You know, I picture myself thinking, what is the bag of toy? What does it look like? The bag of gifts that God has given us in Christ, the spiritual blessings. I read this passage and I, I, I envision it as a paragraph stanza in, in the Bible like this. And in reality, what it is, is more like that massive bag. 
but bigger than you could ever imagine. You just keep unwrapping and realizing, oh, that's another gift that God gave me. Oh, that's another gift that God gave me. Oh, that's another reality that's mine because of Christ. So that's another reality that's mine because of Christ. And so this morning, I want that for you. My prayer is that as we read through this, there'll be a new facet of God's glory and love for you that would be unraveled and that you would live your life to the praise of his glorious grace. And I'm glad that our kids are in here. And my prayer is that our kids would begin to unwrap those presents too. I'll close with this. One wonderful way to view your opening of presents, if you haven't already done it, is to give the reminder that those little moments, all those little moments as your children are unwrapping those gifts, is a foretaste. It's, it's kind of like the grooves in their brain and in their soul to let them know so that when they unwrap the gifts that God has given. And there's a familiarity to that because their father and mother have provided for them these gifts. But now they're opening these spiritual gifts, you know, and and to see that that's what you're doing and praying that God would begin to create that sense in them so that whenever the real gift is opened, the eyes of their heart are open. Wow, the real giver is even better than dad. Or, you know, Santa, whatever you do. But, you know, the real giver is even greater. Because every Christmas that comes by, I pray and I ask the Lord, can you help me to see the depths and the riches of your gifts? And, and hear me, when I say that, I hope you, don't, you guys don't hear me just saying spiritual gifts. I'm talking about every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. Let me pray for us. Merry Christmas to you. I love you guys. Father, thank you for every spiritual gift that you've given us in Christ. Help us now as we sing and as we take of communion and your supper together, that union that we have with you, Lord, help it to sink in as we take communion, your body and your blood. We're one with you in this, not just your sacrificial death, but in your glorious resurrection. And help us, Holy Spirit, to receive that which you have given. Thank you that we're your children. Thank you that we're forgiven and redeemed. Thank you that we have an inheritance. Thank you that we have a future. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.